Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Third and last section, this one will be brief. Perspective. We looked at Paul's plea, the profile of a gospel citizen, and now some perspective. Paul is calling us to live as gospel citizens of a better country, but it doesn't mean that it won't be hard. Paul preached in Philippi, and when he did, he was beaten and thrown in jail, right? That's how the church started in Philippi. And it didn't get a lot better after he left. of God's kingdom will cost us. It's comforting to dwell on the positive aspects of living as citizens of the gospel, but the truth is we can expect suffering and hardship to be an unavoidable part of our journey. As Pastor Ricky examines what it means to live as members of this eternal kingdom, we're reminded that while we experience pain and persecution, we can have joy in knowing that our lives are bringing glory to Christ and spreading the life-giving knowledge of His kingdom. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part two of his message, Gospel Citizens, from the book of Philippians, chapter one. What does it look like to live worthy? The profile. Now we can't talk about everything the gospel changes in one message, that's what the whole Bible is for. Um, But it's helpful to give an overview and there's three things that Paul kind of shows us that show up in a profile of living as a worthy gospel citizen. First is our relationship to the gospel. We stand firm. Paul says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. That's verse 27. So the first thing that living as gospel citizens changes is that we stand firm. The words stecco, stand firm, means to stand firm and hold one's ground. Paul is just a master. You know who he's talking to when he says this? He's talking to probably a bunch of former Roman soldiers who are used to hearing this from their commander. These are the guys that fought in campaigns against the barbarians and around the Mediterranean. They would remember standing behind fortifications with their commanding officers yelling at them as barbarians are charging them, hold the line right? Stand your ground as these people are bearing down on them. And Paul is using the same word. He's saying, hold the line. Stand firm. When it comes to our charter, our constitution, our pattern, we stand on the gospel and the truth of scripture. In every age and in every culture, there are parts of the Bible that agree with that culture and parts that are blatantly offensive to the culture. In the New Testament, in the first century, the Bible's view of the dignity of women and slaves who were seen as co-heirs in Christ was radical and offensive. In our day, the Bible's understanding of marriage and gender is offensive. In Rome, Christians were known sometimes as atheists because they didn't believe in in the deity of Caesar or in any of the Roman gods. And in our day, Christians are known as narrow-minded bigots because we believe salvation is only in Christ. So here's, here's the question. Do you have a sure footing 
in the gospel because if you do not, the culture will shape you, right? Standing firm is not a passive thing. It doesn't just happen. Standing firm is an active mindset and and worldview in, in our relationship to the world around us. And so ask yourself this, do you know the gospel? Somebody asked you, hey, what is the gospel? Can you explain it to me? We gotta be really clear on that. Do you know the Bible? Do you know some basic theology? You know, especially in sort of my generation, there's kind of this, this idea of like, hey, we don't need doctrine, we just need Jesus, right? We don't need theology. Doctrine divides, but Jesus unites. As if like, oh, okay, well then who is Jesus and why did he come? Is he really God and really man? Why did he die? Was it some cosmic example or was it for your sins? Why did he need to die for your sins, right? All of these are doctrinal and theological questions. So to just be like, well, when we sing about Jesus, I feel good and that's enough for me is not enough in this culture. You must be solid in your understanding of the gospel and theology and the Bible, and you must stand firm. That's what Paul is calling us to today. Second, though, is our relationship to one another, striving side by side. He says, standing firm with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Gospel Christians don't go it alone. They strive together side by side. The word striving is synethleo, related to our modern word for athlete. The Romans, I mean, Paul is just the best. He's just like, you know what else Romans, I know Romans love? Athletics, right? (laughs) So like, let's use another athletic metaphor here. Um, Sometimes they may even be thinking of like the gladiatorial games where sometimes gladiators, a group of them would figure out, you know what, we could team up and they would close ranks and just mow everybody down. Because it's way easier to like take on everybody in the gladiatorial arena with like three guys, each holding shields up to one another, than by yourself. This is what Paul is saying. This is a beautiful illustration of this is watching the Olympics. I love the Olympics. One of the things I love in the Olympics is the bobsledding thing, right? I love bobsledding. I was born in the desert. I've never been around a bobsled, but I am fascinated by the bobsleds. Each person on the bobsled team has to be in sync and in step. And I love that they're like different sized people with different jobs on the bobsled team. I remember watching a few years ago this this video of a guy who's like a news anchor or something trying to learn how to do the bobsled thing. And the guy was just horrible. Not because he wasn't an athletic guy, right? But he was totally out of sync with the rest of the team. And so everybody's jumping in. He's like, I can't, you know, like... He's like, do I jump in now or later? And, and he almost like, you know, slid down the thing by himself without the bobsled. This is what Paul is saying. Listen, don't go it alone. Strive side by side in sync with the Christians around you. Right? That, that is that's a totally different mindset than we often bring to the church in America. See, often we think of these people as, okay, we... You guys, if you help me, great. If you don't help me, whatever. It's like the church members are optional, (laughs) right? Like I could take it or leave it. I'm there for the worship and the teaching, but those people, whatever. No, no, Paul is like, listen, we've just built this morning the world's biggest bobsled and we are gonna need to be in sync and strive side by side if we're gonna get home. 
right? We, we need one another. So the question is this, are you standing with other believers? Do you see like a need, like, man, if, I haven't, if I've missed church, I've got to get there. If I've missed community, I've got to get there. If I've been out of touch with people I know, I've got to get with them because we're striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Last thing in this section, our relationship to the world is that we are unafraid. Paul says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Gospel citizens are unafraid. Now for us in America, that sounds funny because it's like, okay, why would we be afraid, right? Then a bunch of Christians help start this thing. There's a bunch of Christians that still live here. But for much of Christian history, the world has been hostile. The government, the culture has been hostile. This is the norm. So why can we be unafraid? Well, it goes back to passage, the passage last week when Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? So Paul is saying this, listen, worst case scenario, they kill us, we get to be with Jesus, okay? Okay, almost worst case scenario, they persecuted, they persecute us, great, well, then while we're persecuted, we will get more of Jesus. Jesus will give, him, give us more of himself. And we, as we suffer, will be able to testify to the gospel of Jesus as we go. So neither of those are bad. So he says, therefore, why would you be afraid? What are they going to do to you? Take away your house? You've got one in heaven, right? What are they going to do? Take away your health? Your body's going to get restored. They're going to take away your reputation in the community? <laughs> I think your reputation with the Lord matters a little bit more. This is nothing this world can take away from us that we ultimately will lose forever. You're going to lose some Facebook friends. I think we're going to be okay, right? And for us in America, man, here's the thing. We, we still need to hear this despite the fact that we don't have kind of rampant stuff that they had in, in, in Philippi. Philippi probably was facing a growing cultural and political and legal opposition from the people in that city, right? And yet we, we, we face far less. We face significant, I know Christians that have faced significant opposition for holding basic Christian beliefs. We need to be able to support one another in those ways, but we need to be willing to lose a little bit of our reputation and look foolish when we reveal ourselves at our job as one of those nuts that believed a magical cosmic being made the whole world and has a plan for your life, right? So for some people, that seems like, oh, okay, great. Wow, I'm gonna write Greg off now. Like, believes in magical stuff. Hey, Greg, ooh, like, right? And this is, maybe people don't do that, but maybe they roll their eyes. Maybe we lose our reputation as, oh, a solid, intellectual, clear-thinking person, Right? This is, this is we, we still need to hear this. We need to be unafraid of the consequences. And, and Paul says the fact that you're not afraid is actually going to be a sign to your opponents of their destruction. In other words, that you will display such a radical and countercultural courage that they go, wait a minute, he's so sure about what he's believing, maybe I'm the one that's wrong here, right? I just took away his reputation and his money and his house and everything, and yet he seems to be okay. So should I be worried? Right, this is, Paul says, it's a sign to them. 
And it's also a sign of our salvation. If we're getting opposed for the sake of the gospel, it doesn't mean that we've necessarily messed up. It may very well mean that we are exactly on the right track. I heard a pastor say one time that if you're in an airplane and getting shot at, it probably means you're flying over the target, right? If you're in World War II and you're thinking, is this the right spot and no one's shooting at you, you're probably in the wrong spot. But if you're getting lit up, I think you're good. I think drop them and let's go home, right? This is, this is a good sign. So friend, do you find yourself being worried about what other people will think of you? Do you find yourself worried about what your family will think? Do you get tired of getting mocked in pop culture? Let's make no mistake, as our culture grows more secular, it is inevitable, apart from God's intervention, that we will face stiffer and stiffer opposition culturally and legally in America. So we need to be very sure that we set our mindset now, that we will be unafraid. Third and last section, this one will be brief, perspective. We looked at Paul's plea, the profile of a gospel citizen, and now some perspective. Paul is calling us to live as gospel citizens of a better country, but it doesn't mean that it won't be hard. Paul preached in Philippi, and when he did, he was beaten and thrown in jail, right? That's how the church started in Philippi. And it didn't get a lot better after he left. And so Paul gives them two things, and I wish we could spend like a whole message on each of these, but two things that I think will help us as we set our mindset here. First, Suffering is a gift. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, this may seem insane, but Paul is saying it has been granted to you that you would suffer for his sake. When Paul says it has been granted to you, the word really means God has grace gifted this to you. That you should, and I love how he puts it in the sentence, that you should not only believe, which we're like, yeah, but also suffer for his sake. Like Paul's like, wait, it gets better. Not only do you get to believe, but also suffering, right? This is, there's a whole group of like, oh, I'm like cultural American Christianity that I think, if you guys never read this verse, right? The, 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 God, the, the Christian life is not all daisies and roses and better and better in health and more money. Paul, it's not like, oh, those are gifts, but if you suffer, you must be doing something wrong. You must not have enough faith. No, Paul is saying this, not only do you get to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. So, so how, <laughs> how is this a gift? Chan and Merida comment like this. Suffering provides a sense of assurance that we belong to Jesus. In other words, suffering is a mark of belonging to Jesus, that as Christ suffered and we are in the image and pattern of Christ, when we suffer, it's not like, oh, you must have done something wrong. It's no, that's the pattern. They continue. Suffering also brings you close to Jesus. At one point, after the apostles had been beaten, Luke says, then they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name. You will enjoy a special intimacy with Jesus as you identify with him through courageous Christian witness. Suffering for the sake of mission doesn't mean he is abandoning you. Rather, suffering is a sign that he is 
with you. When Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain, he means that the point of life is getting more of Christ. And in suffering, what happens? But that we get more of Christ. And going back to the passage Vince preached a couple weeks ago, suffering also provides a unique platform for gospel proclamation, right? Paul is saying, listen, my chains, I'd rather not be here, but what an opportunity. You know what I get to do in a few weeks? Stand before the Roman emperor and preach the gospel. You know what I've gotten to do because of these chains? Preach to every official along the way. Preach at every person that thinks, what a sideshow. Let's go hear what he has to say. Perfect. That is what I want. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, friends, and he's not being glib about this, right? He's not being glib and saying, oh, you had something taken away from you. Your son got beat up. Oh, great. Just everything's fine. He says, no. But he reminds them, your savior has walked this road and he is walking it with you still. And as you walk it, you have a unique opportunity to testify to the fact that he is real and that he has made such a difference in your life that they can take nothing from you that will not be restored. And that makes everyone go, what in the world? Paul says, it's not only that you believe, but that you get to testify through your suffering of Jesus Christ. You know, Drew Parrish is a good friend of mine. He's, we've been together for a long time, just as friends over the years. And we were talking this week, and he reminded me, just in my own life, that my periods of spiritual breakthrough haven't usually come, haven't ever come, when things are just daisies and rose petals in my life. They've usually come when things are hard, because it's in those circumstances that I've found more of Christ. So friend, our, this, the, the, the specific application here is for suffering related to proclamation, but there are some broader applications here. Have you suffered because you followed Jesus? Have you refused to go along with something unethical at your job? Have you stood up for something and gotten persecuted or hit or demeaned or mocked? Friend, you are not doing something wrong. Instead, God is doing something in you. He is giving you more of himself. He is putting your eyes on heaven, and he will allow you to testify to the grace of Jesus as never before. Suffering, Paul says, can even that be a gift? Last, the, Christian, the second thing he, he reminds them of is that the Christian life is war. These are the strangest encouragements, right? <laughs> Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have, right? So he says, you're suffering now and it's part of the same conflict that I had, that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. See, Paul was engaged in the conflict, but not with the Roman Empire. He says elsewhere that the conflict isn't against flesh and blood, but against spiritual opposition to the gospel. So when he came to Philippi, he preached the gospel, got thrown in jail, got beaten up. He says, you remember that, right? And he's like, and now I'm still in the conflict. Same conflict, getting thrown in jail in Philippi, getting thrown into a Roman jail in Rome, same conflict. And you guys are in the same conflict. Well, how can Paul say this? Because they're all, it's all just places along the battle lines of spiritual war as the gospel goes forward and gets opposed. How is this helpful? <laughs> well, this is helpful because it allows us to set our expectations. 
See, we shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition. That is biblically the norm. We should be surprised when we don't face opposition, right? We got like absolutely no opposition. Either the Lord's just being kind or like maybe we may not be actually be living for the Lord the way that we're supposed to. The New Testament picture of Christianity is a wartime picture, right? Like in the free state of Jones, they didn't raise the American flag and assume that they could just wave at everybody. Like, oh, you're in the Confederacy, we're in the Union. How are you guys? Great to see you. Like, no, like you raise that flag and you load your musket, man. You're about to get lit up. John Piper uses this illustration that I love of this cruise liner that he saw one time that was converted to carry troops in World War II. And so when they restored this free museum, they restored half of it as like the wartime troop transport and half of it as the leisure cruise. And what Piper likes to point out is we often assume Christianity is getting welcomed into the leisure cruise, right? And he says, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is a wartime cruise, people. You're like, my bunk is not super comfortable, you know? I feel like the linen service has just gone downhill since we left the harbor. This is war, right? This is a conflict that we are engaged in. And friends, this is helpful because what's your expectation of life? Understanding that the Christian life is war will only help you do a couple things. One, strengthen your stand on the gospel. Two, see the necessity of linking arms with other believers, right? And three, setting your resolve to be unafraid. All right, as we wrap this up, the free state of Jones was attacked by the Confederate army who killed many of the members. But Knight and the core leaders hid in the swamps until the army left, and in, I think, just true Southern fashion, they reemerged and began harassing Confederate troops until the end of the war, right? Until they actually made it till the end of the war. And later on, Knight, the leader of this group, was hired by the Reconstruction government to free black children from white masters who were refusing to emancipate them. Historian comments, in 1875, he accepts a commission in what was essentially an all-black regiment. His job was to defend the rights of freed African Americans in one of Mississippi's bloodiest elections. His commitment to these issues never waned. Here's the thing, that the flag of America flew over the Confederacy till the end of the war, and then it flew all over the South. But there was still a struggle to live the truth behind that flag that all men are created equal. He struggled to bring that truth that was in the declaration that began the country to the ground, to the swamps of Mississippi. And in the same way, we may, we may be Christians, we may be united under this gospel charter, but there is still a struggle. Our struggle is to live what we proclaim, to, to take the ideals of the gospel and apply them on the ground to where we live. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. What makes Pastor Ricky call the book of Philippians the happiest book in the Bible? As we've been discovering in this series, it's because of the incredible good news the Apostle Paul has to share with us all. Pastor Ricky has been teaching verse by verse through this short but powerful New Testament letter, emphasizing the joy that can only be found in the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. 
We hope you've caught some of that joy as you listen today. If you want to listen to today's message again, or explore more of the teachings available from Better News Radio, we'd encourage you to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. There you can also find more information about this ministry and subscribe to our podcast. Be sure to check out Pastor Ricky's Better News book, available for free online. This book answers questions about who Jesus is, why we all need to know Him, and how this knowledge can completely change our world. Feel free to download or share it with someone who may be asking these questions. We're so blessed to have you as our listeners, and we're thrilled that you joined us today. If you ever have any questions for us or would like to share a prayer request with us, please send an email to radio at betternewsradio.com. We'll reply as soon as we can, and we'll start praying even sooner. That email again is radio at betternewsradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Join Pastor Ricky Alcantad next time to keep studying the happiest book in the Bible right here on Better News Radio.